What's up, guys? Lisa here. Just want to let you guys know that rating and reviewing this podcast means the absolute world to me. And to encourage it, I'm reading out weekly reviews. This amazing review comes from Jin Scheme. I love everything Lisa does. I've been following her and her husband, Tom, for a few years. So great to see Lisa spreading her wings and owning this podcast like the champ she is. Everything here is well-researched, genuine, deep and actionable. Thank you, Lisa. Keep up the great work. Thank you. A long, long time ago, in a country far, far away, bombings, gunshots and aircraft missile alarms were the soundtrack to today's Women of Impact's childhood. Iran and Iraq were at war and her only refuge was looking up at the Iranian night sky and dreaming. Dreaming that one day she would go to space. So she drew a picture, showed her family and like Babe Ruth, called her shot. Aw, bless. Her family smiled, metaphorically patted her on the head and sent her on her way. Five, four, three, two, one. Determination now had liftoff. At age 16, with a dream that was literally out of this world, she moved to America and after earning a master's in electrical engineering, she, along with her husband, started a little tech company. Well, telecom technologies went on to being recognized as one of Inc. Magazine's 500 fastest growing companies, which they later went on to sell for approximately $750 million. Then in 2002, along with her family, she sponsored the Ansari X Prize, a $10 million competition that ignited a new era of commercial spaceflight and single-handedly changed the face of space travel. One small step for man, one giant leap for womankind. After six months of intense training and just days after her 40th birthday, she became the first ever Iranian woman to ever leave the Earth's atmosphere, as well as the first space ambassador. And during her eight-day visit on the International Space Station, she journaled her entire experience and became the first ever space blogger with over 20 million readers. So please, help me in welcoming the CEO of the XPRIZE Foundation and co-founder of the Billion Dollar Fund for Women, a foundation with a goal to invest $1 billion in women-founded companies by 2020. A businesswoman, a serial entrepreneur, a speaker, a space explorer, a woman who is showing us that no matter how bold and audacious a dream may be, with hard work and determination, the sky's the limit. Literally. So guys, jump aboard the Starship Enterprise because we're about to go where no one has gone before with today's Women of Impact, Mrs. Spock herself, Anusha Ansari. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, I've been so excited to have you here. Thank you. Um, Let's start with, you're this little girl with a dream. And at that age, I'm sure, in Iran, Dreaming of space must have been so out of this world. Um, and I actually want to start with a quote of yours that you say. Following your dreams is always a challenge, but I wouldn't want to live it any other way. <laughs> so talk to me about the realities of that challenge. Um, and in fact, let's start from there. Well, as a young child in Iran, it was hard for anyone to believe that going to space is even a possibility in my lifetime. I uh, looked at possibility of becoming an astronaut, going to NASA. I didn't even speak English, so that was, you know, not very likely. Um, and uh, I was from Iran, not a U.S. citizen. It was right after the hostage crisis. The relationships were not good, so things didn't look that good. But 
I was determined. I had this thing in my heart that told me that this is what I meant. I was meant to do, and I wanted to do, and and I wasn't ready to give up on it. So I said, "Well, I'll put it on hold." I put it on hold for 40 years, and I um, finally was able to make it come true in 2006. And it was a long, windy road together. It wasn't a straight path. It wasn't like I'm going to do step one, two, three together. But it was always sort of having this, you know, sort of goal, this target in front of me that no matter how far I uh, got from it, I knew that I'm going to change direction at some point in my life and go toward it. And, and just having that sort of at my eyesight all the time, um, having it in my heart, that, that uh, you know, desire and that, you know, small steps toward it was what allowed me eventually to get there. Mm. So many people, though, have these big dreams when they're a kid, right? Mm. Um, I want to go to space. I want to be, you know, an astronaut, things like that. I mean, I wanted to be the first female director to ever win an Academy Award. So big, big dreams. But most people then let life happen, yes. right? It's like you have children, you get married, um, things happen in your life, financial situations. Yeah always end up getting in the way. And I find that so many people look back and said, I had a dream. Mm-hmm, so for you, you had a dream, you put it on hold for 40 years. But what did you do? So let's say, for instance, let's take your tech company. Was, were you always reminding yourself while you were doing the tech company, this is in service of that bigger dream? Oh, absolutely. So I knew at some point I would go pursue it. Um, so whenever, during, uh, when we were building our tech company with my husband, Um, I had little things that would remind me. For example, every single conference room was named after galaxies and, and, you know, things related to space. Everything was space-themed. All the posters were space-themed. I was subscribed and I would get all the magazines about astronomy and space, uh, all my screensavers. So it wasn't like I put it on hold and I'm going to forget about it. I knew it was on hold, but I wanted it to come back into my life. So I wanted it to be part of my life, even though my day-to-day activity wasn't something that was taking me toward it. And that's why when we sold the company, it was the first time I could say, okay, I'm going to take time off now. Uh, I've dedicated my life to build a career and everything, but now I want to figure out what I'm going to do to fulfill this passion I had. And I... I uh, basically went back to school. I love that. Okay, so take me through that. You have this dream, but you don't know anyone. You've got the financial success now. Again, that's something that normally would stop people, right? It's like, oh, I don't really know anyone, or I don't know anything about this. And it's the fear of trying and failing or falling, or just like the, um, the impact it can have on your own confidence of like, but I don't really know anything. How did you overcome that? Was that natural to you or did you have to coax yourself to push yourself to do it? You know, it's always easy to make an excuse from the smallest thing to the largest things. You can always find a reason why you can't do it or it's not going to be done. It's not going to be good. So finding excuses is the easiest thing in the world. The point is, do you want it? Do you want it bad enough that despite all the challenges, all the problems, that you will find a way, you will find a solution. And I think 
you know, I'm an engineer also, and engineers are uh, very much about problem solving and solution oriented. So I focus on, yes, there are problems, but let's forget about focusing on where the problems are without thinking of the solution. Let's find the problems and let's find the solutions as well. Yeah, I love that. There's that um, most successful people that I talk to, I always find that, you know, if the, if you approach a door and it's locked, then you try to get the sledgehammer and you bust the door open. If that still doesn't work, you go find the back door window or the back window and you get a brick and yeah. you smash the glass. Um, so that obviously gives the clear example of how you've gotten to this point. But even just not being able to speak the language, um, how did you overcome that and build, I mean, did it affect your confidence at first? Yes. So, um, you know, as a 16-year-old who didn't speak English, to come to a country which was, you know, it was the first time I left Iran, first of all, so I had no idea what to expect. The culture was completely different. The country was completely different. So to be honest with you, I was depressed. I wanted to go back to Iran. But also, you know, I knew that all of my life, I knew that I wanted to do something more. I wanted to contribute something to this world. I wanted to make my mark on this world. And uh, my approach to it, my, uh, you know, sort of view into how I can make a difference in this world was through the eyes of science. Mm. I didn't know how that would happen, but I continuously looked for the opportunity to invent something, you know, really amazing for the world. And that's, I think, it's been a driving force in my life uh, through my childhood and then adulthood and then, um, you know, my career. But when I came to U.S., um, it was hard. It's, it was difficult to get adjusted, you know, just look at teenagers. As a teenager, you're always, mm -hmm. you know, um, having your own set of problems of coming of age. And now add on top of that a new culture, new language, a new place to live and... It's the sense of survival that kicks in. Mm. A lot of immigrants actually, I think, um, become successful mostly because their survival kicks in and it's like, okay, I'm here, I have to survive, I have to make a new life. And I was in uh, high school back then, so I had to finish the last year of high school, but because I didn't speak English, instead of being in 11th grade, they put me back in the ninth grade. And I'm like, mm. I'm not going backwards. I don't wanna spend another you know, three years in school. So um, that summer, I went and, and uh, took classes from literally 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. back to back. And I came back to school the next year and I was able to actually speak enough to be able to take the tests and, you know, graduate and go to college. And then it's been just uh, nonstop driving myself and propelling myself forward to get to the next step. Oh my God, that's so amazing. Okay, there's a couple of things in there that I want to touch upon. So you're clearly yeah. driven. In those moments though, where it's really hard and you're sad and you're depressed and you're, you know, the 16 year old that doesn't feel like she belongs. How do you emotionally get through it? Because there's one thing to be driven and want something. Mm -hmm. There's another thing to self-soothe your emotions mm -hmm. so that you don't get clouded by um, things around you and then quit. Um, how do you self-soothe in those moments? So I think, um, you know, if I look back at my life, mm. um, my life has gone through constant changes at different, um, you know, stages of life. And one thing I've learned in life is that life is not constant. Life mm. changes. And the, I think the most important quality that I think I have that has helped me um, get through 
difficult times is that that belief that things will change and I, I'm always hopeful that it will change for the better. And that, you know, sort of hopefulness toward the future always helped me. I remember, you know, there were nights I would go to sleep crying and I would tell myself, you know, in the morning when I wake up, it's a new day. So today was a really bad day, but tomorrow it will be better. There's a potential for it to be better. So that eye toward, you know, mm -hmm. what's next could be better than today and, and knowing that life is not constant um, has always helped me get through the tough times and self-soothe myself mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, and try to have a hopeful eye toward the future. That's awesome. I love that. Um, you take ownership over everything. And I find that I've got another quote of yours that I just find incredible. Um, if I find something that's broken and I want it to be fixed, I just do it. It's, I'm sure, um, part of that, I mean, that attitude is exactly why you were able to go to space, to be the first, to break all these records. But how do you stay strong? Because... You're looking at NASA and you're like, well, I'm Iranian. They, they, they may not be taking anyone that isn't American. And that's where most people stop. Mm -hmm. What makes you say, take that and say like, no, if I want to be in space, I'm going to own this and I'm going to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it has to be important enough for you. So okay. for me, going to space was important. So if something is important enough, something I'm passionate about, something I care about, I don't like complaining about it. Complaining is easy. If it's important enough, then that means I need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I may or may not succeed at it. I don't know. Sometimes I fail, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail multiple times. I try, try, try again. But the point is that, you know, you can always quit. Quitting again is easy. Saying that it's someone else's fault, is the fault of the society, is the fault of the world. Yes, all fine. And then you get old and you are on your deathbed thinking about what if? What if I had done something about it? What if I had pursued something? And to me, the worst feeling is the feeling of regret, regretting something you could have done that you didn't. And I try to do my best to not have regrets. Mm -hmm. So um, even if I'm, I don't succeed knowing that I've tried and tried to do my best in you know, changing something that I'm passionate about or accomplishing something that is important to me, uh, it's enough um, to not have regrets. So that's been sort of a motto for me. Mm. Um, how often do you think about being on your deathbed and looking back? Oh, I try to think about it every day. Mm. I, I think um, I want to live my life um, to the fullest. Mm -hmm. I think the purpose of our life is to, um, to experience life to the fullest. And that means um, experimenting, trying new things, learning constantly, and looking at the world with a curious eyes and, and asking those hard questions, you know, why are we here on this planet? Why are we where we are in the universe? And what uh, are other potential life forms out there? And, you know, all these questions that I love to ask because it just expands my mind and, and uh, you know, sort of stretches my imagination and it helps me to paint a picture of a bigger universe and, and feel like I'm part of a bigger picture. Mm. How often do you then try to cultivate that curiosity and imagination? Because I assume in the business that you do, it's so important to think way beyond just what 
you know and then what you see on TV or what oh, yeah. you read. So how do you really engage that? So um, being part of um, XPRIZE Foundation uh, that has been wonderful and being the sponsor of the first prize gave me the opportunity to engage with Peter Diamandis, the founder of the mm -hmm. foundation a long time ago and, and then served on the board uh, forever now. But uh, recently I joined as the CEO and it's like this beautiful playground for uh, stretching your imagination, but with an eye towards solving problem for mm -hmm. humanity. So um, an exercise we do at XPRIZE is to try to imagine uh, the world 20, 30 years in the future. And we pick like a domain, whether it's something that's related to the environment or food or health and longevity. And we look into the future and try to imagine a future that we desire, a, a utopian future. And, uh, and when we imagine it, it allows us to see where we are today and whether we're going to end up in, you know, in that future or are we you know, sort of deviating from it? Are we on a trajectory that takes us away from where we want to be? And um, by looking at it with those lenses, we're able to identify what changes are needed or required. And then we use our engine, our impact engine we have at XPRIZE to use competition, to activate the world in coming up with solutions to help paint and create mm. that uh, that desired future so we say no there is a possibility but it requires a lot of hard work a lot of collaboration and we're here to help and for us to all come together and make it happen so um, that that sort of environment has helped me you know stretch my imagination be curious about the problems to actually dive deep to into understanding the root cause of the problems and mm -hmm. how we can solve them and it's been an amazing playing ground for me. I mean you're literally changing the world and <laughs> um, we actually just said hard work so let's talk about that mm -hmm. because um, I don't want people to lose sight of how hard you work to achieve what you've achieved. So take me back to your, um, you've got this opportunity, you're about to go to space, you have to train for six months. So that alone is intense. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had to actually I guess sacrifice because you had a family, you had kids, correct? At the at this point, I, I don't have any. Kids. Oh, so sorry, you didn't have kids. Um, so so you had to leave your family, correct? Yeah. They were back in. Um, they were in. They were in, in Texas, US. Yes. Yeah. So I actually, um, it was the anniversary, first anniversary of the winning of the Ansari X Prize. Mm -hmm. So we're celebrating it, and we had invited a lot of prominent people from the space community in this celebration. And I got the uh, offer to actually go and train uh, as a backup. I wasn't even supposed to go to space. Um, so I got the offer to go train as a backup and just to learn about the space program in Russia. And um, to me, that's part of what I was describing to you, where you don't really know how you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. But I knew that this is taking one step closer to my dream to be able to go to mm -hmm. space, even though I was sure I'm not going to space, but it was like it would give me the closest experience I would ever have. So I packed my bag. I had to go through an extensive 
um, you know, sort of test to make sure that I get accepted to the program. Uh, they tried very hard to fail me. Russians were not very happy about having a woman in the program. Interesting. Yeah, even though the first one who ever went to space was uh, Valentina Tereshkova, a mm -hmm. Russian um, cosmonaut. But um, that was in late 60s. And uh, after that, they didn't have any women in the program for a long time. And uh, they had changed, you know, they didn't have any facilities to train women, mm -hmm. basically. So when I went there, um, they tried very hard to like say, you know, you really don't want to do this. This is not for you. Women don't enjoy this program. And I was determined. So I, I stayed and um, within two months, I changed their mind about, you know, whether I was dedicated and made to do this. And they became my biggest fans. But the whole time, I spent about nine months training, and during those oh, nine wow. months, um, you know, I just trained as if I was going to space. And, um, you know, I was um, at the end of the training, three weeks before the flight, I was on my way to the airport. My husband was coming to uh, pick me up and help me pack uh, to go back to Texas. and. Um, on my way to the airport, I get a call that told me, well, Anusha, do you want to go to space? And I thought, this is a practical joke. I'm like, ha, 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 not funny. <laughs> like, no, seriously, do you want to go to space? The, the crew member who's supposed to fly um, has developed a medical condition, and everyone thinks you're ready, you pass all your tests, your scores are even higher than anyone else, and if you want to go, you know, it's your choice. And I didn't even blink. I didn't even think I should talk to my husband or my mom or anyone else. I'm like, yes, yes, of course. Of course, I was screaming when I said yes. But, uh, but that when, by the time my husband came, I told him, and he's like, um, I knew this is what's going to happen because he knew how much this meant to me. And the first thing I did, I called the family. I had a big conference call. I was in um, uh, Moscow. So I had a big conference call and I told them that uh, I will be going to space in three weeks. Um, they screamed, they cried, they laughed. Uh, so it was a mix of emotion. Because, but the important thing was um, no one told me ever that I shouldn't do it, that it's too risky, that it's crazy. Um, because they just knew all these years that this is what I was meant to do. This is what I wanted to do, and this is something that would define me. And uh, so even though it was very difficult, especially, again, for my mom, but she never asked me not to go. But it, you seem like, I mean, from what you said, is that you've had a lot of people in Russia that were telling you no. And I have yeah. another quote of yours, which yeah. I just love. Um, <laughs> you're asked, basically, were you ever kind of bitter about being treated differently as a woman? You put, well, or do you get treated differently? And you said all the time, but I did not let that make me bitter. It was just an extra step and I took it to get to my destination. I so love that because in those moments, they're not even telling you you're gonna to go to space, you're just training. Yeah. But you don't listen to them saying, but you're a woman, all the negativity, you push and you push harder like you're going. Yeah. And that attitude, I am. If I was a betting woman, is what allowed you that when that person got sick, that that was the first call they gave you. Yeah. Um, what is it, or what does it take for you during those moments to push through, even when people are saying, you know, around you, but you're a woman, and maybe this isn't the best for you. How do you keep going? And then even just pushing past what you could have, right? You could have played at this level, you would have been great, but it seems like you played at such an elite level that that's why they turned to you. 
So, so I think um, when someone tells me I can do something, it's actually a motivation for me to prove them wrong. So the more you push back on me, the more I push mm. harder to, 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 to show you that I can and I will. And, uh, and this has been true throughout my life. Mm. And I think um, this is something that's important, especially for women, because this confidence in yourself is the driving engine that will get you through tough times. And uh, a lot of times we, because of the society, because the environment we're in, because this thing is beaten into our head that we're not good enough, worthy enough, uh, strong enough, smart enough, or whatever enough, um, that we lose our self-confidence in ourselves and our abilities. So a lot of the limitation that we experience, it, it starts with the limits that we put on ourselves and what we can achieve. And it's important because a lot of times I see a lot of young women that have given up because they just feel like they can't do it. So it is fear of failure, fear of not being perfect, fear of being judged always holds us back and I I don't let that hold me back and has helped that has helped me get through um, difficult time to to uh, push the boundaries and limits and set new boundaries perhaps that I will push again later in my life yeah how much did you have cultural pressure well, um, in, in our society in Iran, there is a lot of cultural pressure mm. on the role that women play. And to be honest with you, um, even here in the United States, those pressures are there, but it just they take a different form. And is this notion as young girls, um, you know, we grow up being told that we need to be perfect, we need to be beautiful, we need to dress nicely, we need to just, you know, be good students, you know, be good daughters, be good mothers. And we grow up with this eye toward always being perfect mm -hmm. at no matter what we do. And when you are thinking of being perfect, that means you don't take risk. That means you don't mm -hmm. try new things because every time you risk, every time you do something new, you have a chance of failure. If you fail, then you're not pe perfect. And uh, I think that is what uh, in every society has held women back in many ways. And, and uh, one advice that I give to parents usually when they ask me, like, you know, I have a young girl, what do you recommend we do? It's like, you know, push them to try new things. Let them climb walls. Let them climb trees and fall down and scratch their knees. And let them not be perfect uh, and, and feel comfortable with not being perfect. Feel comfortable with trying new things and, mm -hmm. and risking and failing. Uh, because that's at the core of growth. That's at the core of, you know, um, learning new things and trying new things and, and growing as a human being. Yeah, that's amazing. What's interesting, so earlier I'd, I'd asked you about sacrifice and I said, you're kidding, you said I don't have any. And what was interesting is, is that in going back, because I've read a lot about you and seen a lot of interviews and you always say my family, like I had to sacrifice my family to go and train. And even me, who does a show that's saying like, don't ever pigeonhole people, I just assumed you had kids and that's terrible on me. Yeah. But I really find, like I actually want to talk about that because again, going back to like, 
almost stereotypes of what people think women should be and how they should be. And so, I, you know, I come from a Greek background. So my entire life, I was told if you're a Greek woman, you need to get married and you need to have children. Mm-hmm. And I actively rebel against that. And here I am doing the same thing to you. Um, so did you consider having children? Was that a cultural pressure from you, for you? And then um, how did you decide to not have children? Um, very good question. Um, a question that I don't get asked often, actually. Uh, so definitely I considered having children, um, but there was a, a question always there for me uh, about if, there's, if an opportunity comes for me to go to space. I didn't know if I would do it if I had a child. Um, I just didn't know if I have it in me. I know there are astronauts, female astronauts with children and they fly and I have nothing against that. I just didn't know what I would do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to put myself in that position because I told you the thing that I don't want to have is regrets. So I didn't want to be in a position that years later I would look at and say I had the chance but I couldn't do it because I had a kid. So I did make a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I decided not to have children because of, you know, I didn't know if I would make that ultimate sacrifice for my passion versus, you know, putting myself in danger and and potentially leaving a young child, you know, Mm. without a mother. So, um, so I, I didn't, I decided not to have kids. So did you take both things? Because is there a part of you that had to assess whether you would regret not having children? Yes. I've got the dream of going to space. Yes. But I don't want to regret not going, and I don't want to regret not going, having kids. How did you um, weigh those out? So um, the way I, I balanced it out was that um, I figured that at some point in my life, if I want to have children, there are plenty of children in the world that would look forward to having a loving family and a loving person and a loving home and I could always adopt. Mm. So I knew that option will be there for me if I decide to have a child. Uh, there was lots of pressure from my mom, mm. from my father-in-law, um, you know, that, you know, women are meant to have children, you know, what do you mean adopting? Uh, that's not the same, you need to have your own child, it's just part of who you are, and I had to fight that. And, mm. and on top of that, I was a career woman, and. Even now I'm so active still and always on the road um, that um, I don't see myself being a mother. Mm. Um, even though, you know, I'm, I think I have been part of many young children's lives and I have, I hope I have made um, positive impact on them. I care deeply about children. Uh, I care deeply about uh, their well-being and their future. And I feel like I'm contributing in a different way in making the world a better place uh, for all of them, uh, contributing to inspiring them, uh, inspiring them to be scientists, to be uh, better at what they do, to have big dreams, to, to imagine the world in a different way and to help them you know, build that world. Mm-hmm. So even though children of all ages are a part of my life, uh, the bigger life I have, um, I personally, at my home, in my closer sort of circle, 
I don't have a child myself. Mm, yeah, you inspire so many people. And blogging from space, being the first blogger, so you're up in space, people are reading your stuff. But I know that you weren't used to being out in front. You were very introverted. Yes. Um, I still am, believe it or not. So how do you then force yourself to step out in order to create the inspiration that you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. Like stepping out of that comfort zone can't be easy. I mean, you're sharing your whole life up in space. Um, so yeah, how did you decide to do that? And then mm -hmm. what was the pushing force to keep going? Mm -hmm. So it happened, I think um, a little bit of it is, was by accident. So I, after talking to my family, I called Peter and said, Peter, guess what, I'm going to space. And the idea of the blog came from him. It's like, write a blog, because the blogs were just coming out. Oh. And I'm like, I've never written anything. What do you mean write a blog? So just write whatever comes from your heart. Just make sure it comes from your heart. And, and that's what I did. I basically, if you read my blog, it's not scientific. I was writing about washing my hair, losing my lipstick, and how all the walls are Velcro. It was just whatever thought came to my head, I would write it literally. And that's why it became popular, because people could relate to it, mm -hmm. because it wasn't uh, something sort of abstract, it was real life. And they could see themselves. Um, a lot of people wrote to me and said, I felt like was, I was up there with you. Mm. Because everything I wrote was just, you know, unfiltered thoughts from my head straight to the paper. And uh, my talks, my, my public speaking, and being in the public eyes is sort of stemmed from that, where I saw that how just sharing things that are seemingly simple um, and things that happen in my head and through my eyes, sharing those things with others helps them see the world maybe differently mm -hmm. or see the world in a way that's, okay, I'm not alone. There are, you know, there's another person like me. Or to, for example, for a young um, woman to say, oh, this person did it then that means I can do it. If she went to space, I can become a doctor, you know. Um, so it, it um, made me realize how powerful storytelling is, mm. how powerful um, storytelling in an authentic way is. And I felt that if I go on stage and I just uh, be myself, if I just tell my story the way it is, if I answer questions uh, truthfully and from the heart, that it resonates. It's not perfect, my English is not perfect, I make mistakes, but because it's authentic and it comes from the heart, it sits well uh, with people and they enjoy it and they like it and it inspires them. And it uh, allows them to, um, to see the world of possibilities that my life has uh, been about. Mm -hmm. and, and Therefore, they see those possibilities for themselves. So I keep on doing it. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about, one of my phrases that I love the most, I say a lot of the time, is perspective is everything. And I heard you say that your perspective of the world changed when you were in space. Mm -hmm. You didn't see borders. You didn't see the divide between countries and religions. And that gave you just a different perspective on life. So talk to me about that and then how powerful perspective is for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so being in space really, and I think this is shared by many astronauts, it allows you to see the world as one. When you are looking at our planet, you truly don't see 
these lines that are usually drawn in a map mm -hmm. when you see it in you know books uh, and uh, it allows you to see how it, difficult it is for you to even identify where you live or your country because the, truly you're looking at the globe and this whole globe um, is your home and when you look at it from that perspective um, you know it makes you feel connected and part of that entire world mm -hmm. at the same time in the background of this beautiful glowing blue planet of ours it's a very dark you know canvas uh, which is the universe. It's full of stars and everything, but there's, it's so far away and it's so big and vast that, you know, sort of makes you appreciate this little tiny place. And it makes you understand that it's a very tiny place and it's small and it's unique. So while you feel part of something much bigger, which humbles you, it also makes the problem in the world shrink mm. and makes you feel empowered uh, that, you know, we can solve problems. It's not that big, it's not difficult. And being part of the astronaut community, spending time on the space station, I saw how international collaboration mm. can really uh, be powerful. Um, if you look at the history of the space program, you can see how even during the Cold War, um, you know, the American, the NASA astronauts and, and Russian cosmonauts worked well together and they were instrumental in keeping the peace in a way. And, and um, I think um, space has this unifying effect and it brings people of different backgrounds, religions, countries together, uh, collaborating towards something that's bigger than each one of them. Yeah, God, I could just imagine that that would just put so much into perspective, you know, where you're, you stub your toe and you're like, I'm not going to complain about my toe when, you know, there's so yeah. much going on in the world, just kind of like oh, flipping that perspective. Exactly. You, you also, you know, during my training time, being away from the hustle and bustle of the everyday mm -hmm. world and, and just being very focused on my training, it sort of um, allowed me to... Um, not be drowned in the noise of everyday life and be able to uh, reflect on what life is all about and, and identify what's important mm. uh, to me and be able to find things I want to focus my energy and then going to a space actually uh, reinforce that even further and, and uh, I sometimes describe it as if you know if your eyesight is bad and you put on the glasses for the first time <laughs> it's like you know, everything all of a sudden comes to focus. My life came to focus mm. when uh, I, I had this amazing experience of being in space and, and coming back to Earth. How do you then not let that moment define you, right? Because if you've had a dream for 40 years, you've achieved the dream that you've been thinking about for so long. How do you then continue your life in progression versus just always looking back at this one moment that, let's say, becomes the pinnacle of your life? Because it's very easy mm -hmm. for pe you to do that. I hear that with people are saying about their college days or their high school days were the best days of their lives. Or people want children so badly that they hold on to the moment they have the kid. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, what do you dream about next? Mm -hmm. How did you handle that? Because I know that you said that you actually were depressed when you yeah. landed. Yeah, I was very depressed because I was asking myself those questions questions uh, about okay so what's next for me right. what will I do 
uh, how will I define my life after uh, this experience. And it took me a while, um, but it was sort of re-examining my life and what it took for me to be able to actually go to space. And it was like all these stars uh, that had to align and things that had to happen and people that I had to meet uh, just in the right time. So I knew that, um, you know, while we try to plan our lives, mm. um, it's a series of coincidences. And you just have to, again, sort of have your bearing straight in a direction that you want to go and let things happen. And when I saw the impact my story was having on the world, when young people from countries I've never had even visited were writing to me and how my story had reached so far and, and had uh, already started making a difference in the world, I felt like, well, I owe it to myself and to the world to continue telling this story and continue building on it. And then as I'm doing this, I'm sure I'll find what's next for me. Um, so it's just knowing that life will sort of guide you as long as you keep your passion for doing good in this world mm -hmm. alive, as long as you take the hard steps and, and, and push forward and just being open. Being That's what open. I was going to say. It seems yeah. like you're always open to possibilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to because, um, you know, world is full of possibilities and you can continuously put blinders on. And, and you know, especially when you're in a dark place, it's easy to put those blinders mm -hmm. on and just feel mm -hmm. sorry for yourself and for your situation. And even if the best opportunities come, you won't see them because you have your blinders on. And I, I've always tried hard not to do that, to uh, hope for the best, uh, open my eyes, look for possibilities. And when they, you know, present themselves, um, I just go with the flow and, and sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. I'm not saying they all work right. out, but uh, I, I feel like if you go in it with an open mind and um, open heart, then the, the chances are that more likely that they work out. I love that. Um, what do you consider your superpower to be? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I feel personally um, that I can put myself in the shoes of someone else and, and really um, understand them. So I think empathy maybe, mm. uh, it's, it's a superpower that I have. Um, it, it's good and it's bad because I can feel someone else's pain. I just feel compelled to do something about it. And it's like a weight uh, you have on your shoulder when you always constantly feel like you have to help people and do something. And sometimes I can't, sometimes I cannot do anything about it. But still I feel the pain and feel helpless about it. So 
Empathy can be a superpower, but it can also be a curse sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting. I think for you, I mean, look, you're actively changing the world. That's not tongue in cheek. You're actually looking to change the world. And so while I'm sure sometimes it's a weight on your shoulders, on behalf of the whole world, I thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's really the team at the XPRIZE and all the innovators that uh, come together to mm. solve the grand challenges. So it's it's not one person. Sure. Literally, it takes a village. Yeah, <laughs> it, it takes does. the whole world as a village mm -hmm. to come together. I but we try. Yeah. We try. Um, where can people follow you and find just all the incredible things you are doing at the XPRIZE as well? So, um, uh, of course, we have a website where we are uh, at uh, uh, xprize.org. And I'm on Twitter, I'm on uh, Instagram and, and LinkedIn, all the social media. Um, uh, you can, Anusha Ansari is my uh, Twitter handle and, and you, you'll find me easily by Googling me. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, guys, when I heard this woman's story over a year ago, I started stalking her. And today I was so excited that she came and joined me and shared her story with you guys and with me. She literally is changing the world, which is why I'm so obsessed with this woman. Like creating impact is my thing. That That's what I love to do. And here's a woman who's not just creating impact on people. She's actually creating impact on the earth itself and the planet. Mm -hmm. So go check her out. Out, check out XPRIZE. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Bilyeu and you're not subscribed guys, click that subscribe button down there and join this team of women of impact. And until next time, be the hero of your own lives. Peace out. <laughs>